Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. This morning we are going to be talking about uh, hope, but I want, to, I want to start with this question for you to consider. What does it look like for you to lose hope? What do you look like? How do you respond? How do you go about the activity in your life when you, when you begin to lose hope? And then what does it look like when that hope ends up being restored? Um, for about 16 years, uh, I was a, a coach in high school athletics in a, in a number of different um, capacities, primarily uh, in football and in soccer and uh, enjoyed a few other sports as well. And as a coach with, with my staff, regardless of what sport I was, uh, was coaching, we were always looking for something in particular during the games that we were a part of. And what we were looking for is we were looking for moments where the momentum was going to change, where either through a play or through an activity or through kind of the winding down of the clock that it was likely that momentum was going to change. And we were always aware of whether or not that was going to change from us to our opponent. We were always watching our players and we were watching our opponent's players as well. And we were looking for something in particular. We were looking for players who were beginning to lose hope, where they were losing confidence, where there was a, a lack of assurance, where there was this sense of hope waning because we would look for those opportunities and we would look to correct those on our team if we could to head those off and we would look to exploit those in the teams that we were playing against and we had a term for it that we affectionately called loser's limp loser's limp because all of a sudden when an athlete or when a team collective began to lose hope you started hearing excuses you started seeing people pull up with injuries and you started seeing people trying to hide even on the field that they were competing on. And we would call it loser's limp. And I want to, I want to, I want to ask you a question to, to think introspectively. Is there a sense of loser's limp at times in your life? Maybe in just kind of the general activity of your life or maybe more poignantly in your spiritual life. A sense of Losers limp. How do you respond when you begin to lose hope? Do you lose resiliency? Do you bring excuses? Do you try to find a way to hide and to shy away? Jesus wants to restore your hope in him and for the plans and the purposes that he has for your life. If you've got your Bible, I want to encourage you to go ahead and get that out. Raise it up high. If you've got a smartphone or a tablet, go ahead and open up your Bible app. Raise that up high. Lord, we ask that you would give us soft hearts towards your word today. Lord, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, as Jesus would describe it, to be spiritually in tune with what your spirit would speak to us. And Lord, where you would encourage us to have hope anew, hope afresh, to have hope arise in us, and to live with a confident faith in you as a result of that in Jesus' name. Amen. With your Bibles out, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up to John chapter 12. We're going to be starting there this morning. 
The passage of scripture that we're going to look at is one that is going to have companion passages in all four of the gospels. Uh, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all four of the Gospels that uh, record kind of the narrative of Jesus' life and ministry. On many occasions, there's significant things that they all focus in on, that they all draw attention to. And in particular, the passage that we're going to start with this morning is one of those, and it's called the triumphal entry. It would have been something that would have been commemorated or celebrated last week on what is oftentimes called Palm Sunday, but it marks Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem in what is considered Holy Week, and it was in preparation for the Passover that they were going to be sharing. And all four Gospels record a narrative of the triumphal entry, and they all give kind of some different details and some different vantages to understand it. But what you find in all of them is that the people of Jerusalem had high hopes for this week. In fact, in, in Scripture, you, you don't really see in, in the Gospels uh, a higher hope than on that first day of Passover week as people were descending upon Jerusalem both to celebrate and then to anticipate the arrival of Jesus. And in John chapter 12, we're going to pick up in verse 12 as we read, The next day, the crowd that had come for the festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And now the crowd that was with him, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed the sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Now look how the whole world has gone after him. The perspective of everybody in Jerusalem was that all eyes were on Jesus. All hope and expectation was being put into him. And as he was arriving in Jerusalem, people were pouring out in anticipation and welcoming him. And there was a whole crowd that had traveled with him into town. The whole city was abuzz with anticipation. When you look at the other gospels, there are questions that are being asked of, of who is he? What is his teaching? What do you think he's going to do? Ever, everybody's got a hope and an expectation, and they're trying to guess at what is going to take place. And there's this increasing sense of national hope that is arising, that he would be the one who overthrows the oppression of the Romans, that he would be the one who restores their national identity. And people had all kinds of hopes that they were beginning to place in him. And, and all four of the narratives record that they were shouting Hosanna. And that's more than like yee-haw. That's more than like, you know, hallelujah. Like this Hosanna declaration was quoting Psalms. It was quoting Messianic prophecies. It was a declaration that not only was somebody important or influential or somebody with high fanfare was arriving, but there was a declaration that this should be, that this could be the Messiah, the one that they were all waiting for, and they were putting their Messianic hope in him, that he was going to restore their national identity, and he was going to restore their understanding of themselves as the people of God. And everybody began to make their way to him. So people are gathered with him and journeying alongside. People are pouring out of Jerusalem in anticipation, and they all came with some type of hope-filled expectation. And you can anticipate that some people would have been coming out of curiosity, hoping to see a miracle. 
For three years, Jesus had been doing the supernatural. He had been doing the miraculous. There was, there was an excitement about those things, and so it is likely that some were just coming as looky-loos, and they wanted to see something fantastic take place. It's likely that there were those who were coming out to meet Jesus who had heard of his teaching, and they wanted to hear for themselves. Right? He didn't have a podcast. They couldn't catch him on live stream, and so they had to get out to him, and there's likely that there was interest in what he had to say because people had been hearing that. There would have been those who were coming out to join his movement, whatever they thought that that was supposed to be, that his group of disciples, there was the 12 certainly that he called to himself, but there was a larger group of disciples that he was ministering to and that he was uh, teaching and leading and there was a group of crowds and there were the throngs. There were all kinds of concentric circles of interest in Jesus and people would make their way thinking of that and some would have their own political motivations, religious motivations, socioeconomic motivations and they would be coming with those hopes as well. And then there were likely those who were uh, desperate for healing and for wholeness, right? Over and over through the gospels, you see those who are maligned and marginalized and destitute and without hope finding their way to Jesus and him changing, healing, bringing wholeness. And so in this group, in this gathering, in this celebration, in this, in this shout of Hosanna, you would have all kinds of hopes and expectations that were being placed on him, that were being expected of him. And everybody kind of in unison was celebrating his, arri uh, his arrival, except for, of course, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the other religious leaders that saw it as a threat. It was with great fanfare. Everybody else was coming to Jesus, and when we have high hopes and high expectations of God meeting our hope and expectation in the way that we want, we have an easy tendency to get to him. When we, when we have a high hope or expectation that Jesus is gonna do what we want him to do or that God's gonna respond the way that we want him to respond in our lives, it's, it's, re it's really easy to have a hope that draws us close to the Lord. And so people are gathered and they've got a hope that Jesus is going to do something. And then it doesn't matter actually what hope they had, what expectation they had, all of them were disappointed over the next five days. Over the next progression of days through the week, in a few short days, everyone's hope, everyone's expectation was disappointed. Jesus gets betrayed by one of his own, one of his closest. He's arrested, he's falsely accused, he's tried, he's condemned, he's sentenced to death, he's beaten, he's humiliated, and then he is put to death. And regardless of what shout, hope-filled exclamation happened on the first day of the week, all of those expectations are now unmet in Jesus' death. Their collective hope dies. Whether it was an aligned hope with God's kingdom or whether it was a, a personal, self-serving hope, all of them go up met as Jesus goes into the tomb. And one of the things that happens to us when we lose hope is we typically respond in desperate ways. 
When we lose hope, we often lose our own way. In fact, there's a proverb in chapter 13 that puts it this way. It says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. That our inner person, when our hopes are disappointed, we, we, we start to lose it. When we have our hope disappointed by a person, when we have a hope that's been disappointed by our circumstance, when we have a hope that is disappointed, when, when something is waning and being lost, we have a tendency to begin to kind of cave in on ourselves. It's a spiritual loser's limp that begins to happen in us as we begin to kind of get desperate about our situation, and it's in those places that we typically act out of character for ourselves or maybe more in tune with our sinful character would be another way to look at it. And there's no, better, there's no better example of that in Scripture, especially during this time, than Peter. And Peter is like low-hanging fruit for this type of an example because all four of the Gospels go out of their way to just like let Peter's stuff be exposed for all of church history. Right? Peter is one of the most well-known of the apostles, and it's one of the ones that most of us have the most affinity for because we are a lot like Peter. We're impetuous. We have a tendency to speak before we think. We act rashly and, 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 and act out oftentimes even of anger. We have a tendency to see ourselves in a, a higher light than maybe we should, have a tendency to be a little bit self-righteous and self-assured, and you can kind of fill in the blank, and you're like, yeah, I kind of like that Peter guy because we relate to Peter. And Peter loses hope. And not all at once. Like it was certainly put to death on Friday when Jesus died. But his, his hope was dissipating through the week. When Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, Right on the Mount of Olives, when Jesus is arrested, Peter pulls his sword. Right, He acts out of anger. He acts out of aggression. And in his mind, it's like this is the time. Jesus is going to restore the kingdom. Time to fight for the kingdom. Let's go. Pulls his sword. And what's really interesting to me about Peter is, is Peter is ready. Listen to me. Peter is ready to die for Jesus. He is ready to die for Jesus, but he doesn't understand that that's not the plan. Jesus needed to die for Peter. He was ready for, to die for what he hoped or what he expected. He was really willing to die for his faith. He was willing to kind of put his own life on the line, but he didn't understand. He didn't understand that Jesus had to die for Peter. That was the plan. And so he acts out of anger. He acts out of aggression pulls his sword and, and goes to take somebody's head off and luckily for us, Peter failed even at that, just took a guy's ear off. And what's funny, right? All four gospel writers tell us about Peter in the garden. Some of them by name, with a little more detail, but all relate. All four gospel writers tell us about Peter's denial and we're gonna get there in just a moment. Man, all of Peter's stuff, right? You think somebody takes your stuff and tweets it out to the world? Like, Peter's is all in Scripture. He was ready to fight. He was ready to die to fulfill his own hope and expectation, but it was the wrong thing. 
He's kind of disillusioned at that point. Jesus actually picks the ear up and heals the man who Peter attacked. And then Peter follows kind of as a distance as Jesus is arrested and he's carried away. And it's like, wait a minute, this isn't what I hoped for. This isn't my expectation. What about like the kingdom? What about the kingdom? Like this looks the opposite of that. And so he's traveling kind of at a distance and, and he and John end up in the place where Jesus was in a religious trial and all of a sudden he's overcome by fear and doubt. This man who is self-assured, this man who made a declaration that I would stand alone. If all others fall away, I won't forsake. I'm willing to die and he, he showed that he was. All of a sudden, he finds himself in a place where now he's being overwhelmed by fear and doubt. All of his self-assurance and all of his assurance of who Jesus was and what his expectations for him to do were, all of that begins to crumble. And now he finds himself in a place where as Jesus has been re being religiously tried, Peter begins to crumble at people's inquiry. And the first was just a girl who was opening the door and was like, yo, didn't you hang out with Jesus? And he's like, no. He begins to deny Jesus. Wait a minute, like an hour ago, you were willing to die. But it's like it's not going to, to plan. It's not going to plot. He, he doesn't understand how this is supposed to be working out. And so his hope, it's, it's slowly becoming disappointed, and he's acting out in poor responses to that. Now, some of the other Gospels just give us the highlight that it was the servant girl that questioned Peter, and it was three times at that questioning that he denies and denies and denies. John's at least kind enough in his Gospel to let us know that he was inquired of being with Jesus by more than just a little girl. The first one was a little girl, and, and he pushed back against that. But in John's Gospel, it lets us know that another person had said, hey, weren't, weren't you with him? I thought I saw you with him. And he pushes back hard against that. Do you know who the third person was that said, hey, no, I think I saw you with Jesus? In John, it tells us it was the relative of the guy whose ear he cut off. Where he's in the courtyard and the guy's like, no, wait a minute, didn't I just see you a little bit ago in the garden? And John tells us it was the guy's relative. And Peter's like, no, 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 you got the wrong guy. I understand that one a little bit more than maybe the servant girl. <laughs> but he was overcome with fear and doubt. He was ready to die with Jesus when he had a sword in his hand. But when that wasn't the way, like he wasn't willing to put his life on the line in that moment. Like his, his hope, his hope is dissipating. And then one of the other gospel writers lets us know that at that point, at that third denial, he hears the rooster crow, he remembers Jesus' words, and it says that he withdrew himself and wept bitterly, and, and we do that. When we lose hope, when we're disappointed, we'll, we'll fight for what we expected, and then we'll be overcome by fear and doubt, and then we will withdraw out of fear and despair. How, how do you respond when you begin to lose hope? Maybe one of those fits you, and maybe there's another way that you act out. But oftentimes when we begin to lose hope, we draw away rather than drawing closer to. Now I want you to, I want you to switch gears for a minute. I want you to think about a different question. 
Okay, so we've considered a little bit this morning, what does it look like to lose hope? And I don't have to play in that space very long because we've all been in that place. We've had our hope disappointed. We've been disappointed by people. We've disappointed ourselves. Most of us, if we're honest, would say that the Lord has disappointed me in some way. That there's been a time in my life where I felt that way towards him. Even knowing maybe I shouldn't. Even knowing cognitively or intuitively that that isn't right. Like I felt that way. Now I want you to entertain this thought. What does it feel like or how would you respond if you had the opportunity to hope again? How would you respond if you heard good news? See, most of us, we would, we would want to say that we would embrace that. We would want to say that that would kindle like this new like faith and fire in us and that we could rise up in confidence and that we would, we would hope fresh and new. But if we're honest, many times what that new hope hits is a heart that has become hard and bitter, a mind that is cynical and questioning. It can be really hard when you've lost hope to receive a new hope even as it is offered to you. Think about the example of maybe like a medical diagnosis where you were praying for healing and it just seemed to get worse and then you had to walk through some things that were difficult. And then on the other side, you got some more difficult news and it just seems to be sliding and then all of a sudden you would have a checkup or you'd have some type of a report that came back and it would seemingly be a glimmer or a ray of hope. Do you grab that and celebrate that or do you think, yeah, well, we'll see. See, it can be hard for us to regain our hope, to believe. In August of 1945, World War II ended. You didn't know you were going to history class. Right? World War II, it was, it was over. And in that effect, all of the parties of hostility, like none of that exists anymore. The militaries of those opposing nations were just kind of recalled and they went home. And it was like, we're good? All right, we're good. And then we just got to sort it out after that. And what's really interesting is that there was um, a, represent, uh, a representative group in the Philippines of the Japanese military. There was a Japanese military presence in the Philippines at the time. And in 1945, in August, the war ceased. Right? And you didn't have Twitter and Facebook. You didn't have any online feeds. You couldn't ask Alexa whether the war was still going on. Couldn't text anybody. Like the news had to travel and it had to get there as it could. Had to go by word of mouth and it had to go in print. And in the islands of the Philippines, there were holdouts of the Japanese army that were in different places that had to get the news as it was able to get to them. And there was a small constituency in the Philippine jungle that got pamphlets dropped to them. Just little leaflets that said, hey, the war's over. You can come out of hiding and you can go home. 
And as they gathered those, and as they began to look at those, and they began to scrutinize those, although that would have been what they were hoping for and fighting for, that the war would be over and that they could return home, at the news of that, as they looked at the leaflets, they said, this is a trap. It's an ally ploy to draw us out. And so there was a lag in in, in people returning to a life that was now theirs again. There was a lag. And there were four individuals in particular who held out together for months. And about six months into the war having been ceased, one of them decided, you know what, I'm just going to risk it. And he walked out of the jungle. He deserted the other three. And the other three saw it as a security risk. And so they dug in even deeper. Two of the three ended up dying of gunshot wounds over the next successive years as they would wage guerrilla warfare in the Philippines. And one, one, his name was Onada Hiru, held out living alone in the Philippine jungles for 29 years. 29 years. It was 1974 when he finally walked out and surrendered. And there had been time and time again where they had gone with the news, the war is over, it's safe, you can come out, you can go home, the war is over, it's safe, you can come out and come home. Here, look, here's the newspaper headlines. Here, look, here's pictures of your friends and their families. And they would drop these out and he would find those and he would scrutinize those and he would say, that is not possible. I will not believe. 29 years. And in 1973, 1974, somebody knowing of kind of this person, everybody knew that he was still a holdout, but they couldn't find a way to him. It was a journalist who made their way into the Philippine jungles and made contact with him. And then came out and flew back to Japan, tracked down his old commanding officer from the military 30 years prior, convinced that gentleman to fly with him to the Philippines to go into the jungles to find him so that his commanding officer could say, you can go home. And it was at that point that he formally surrendered. He handed over his sword, his firearm, 500 rounds of ammunition, three grenades, a dagger that his mom gave him to take his own life should he ever be captured. And he walked out of the jungle and he went home. 30 years late. Because that new hope, it couldn't possibly be true. The hope of Jesus' followers was being deferred. Their hope and their expectation that they had placed on him, all of that crumbled when he went to the cross and then hope rose. How do you respond to good news? How do do you respond to the prospect of hope? In John chapter 20, verse one, it says this, early on the first day of the week, 
While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. The other gospel writers will let us know that she wasn't alone, but that there was a group of women who had all gone together. It'll record their interactions with the angels and the things that are being declared, but they're not really sure what is happening. They're not really sure how to sense make their experience here. But focusing still on Mary here in verse two, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. That's John, by the way. That's how John refers to himself in the Gospel of John. Little uh, author's liberty there. I don't know if he means I'm the one that Jesus loved best, but I'm just making sure you know that Jesus loved me. And she said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. And so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Again, John, just letting us know, Jesus loved him and he was faster than Peter. Now to be fair, earlier when he talks about Peter's denial, he's the only one of the other four gospel writers that gives the least amount of detail and doesn't allow Peter to look worse in print. So I, I feel like he did Peter a favor there, and so he's like, now it's my turn. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter, and he reached the tomb first, and he bent over, and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He didn't stop to look. He wasn't peeking. He was trying to get there. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was lying in its place, separate from the linen. And then finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. Look at this. He saw and he believed. I am so pleased at the example that I see here that against all hope, at just the mere thought that Jesus wasn't dead and wasn't in there anymore, they came running. They came running. Now John lets us know again in his letter that he believed. It seems to suggest that he believed right away. The other gospel writers will let us know that it took them a while to really make sense of what was going on. But they ran, they ran to Jesus. They ran to where they expected to find him. They ran to him, and the result was that they believed. And what I would suggest to you this morning is that in the areas of life that you have where hope is waning, where hope has been disappointed, that at the invitation of your risen Savior that you would run to him and hope again. Jesus is risen, and our hope rises with him. Earlier in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 3, Jesus is in the conversation with a man about what it looks like to enter into the kingdom of God. What it looks like to experience the kingdom of God. The plans and purposes of God, the move of God, the activity of God in your life. And arguably, the most famous or most well-known scripture is spoken in this context, and we're going to read the two together, but in John chapter 3, 16 
and 17. As Jesus is having this conversation about how to move into that enjoyment, he says this, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And that is made available to us because he is risen. It is made available to you and I because he is risen. And because he is risen, all of our hopes in him rise as well. Church family, I want to invite you to stand. Worship team, if you would come forward, we're going to take a few moments to respond this morning as we close. I'm going to ask you for just a moment to close your eyes just as a way of drowning out the movement and the distraction around you. And we're going to revisit that first question that we began with. How do you respond when you begin to lose hope? Maybe this morning there's an area in your life where you have been losing hope. Maybe there's a place in your life today where you have been disappointed. Would you take the opportunity to run to Jesus and have your hope renewed? Would you take your opportunity to run to Jesus and to believe? Sometimes the hope that we lose and the hope that is disappointed needs to. It needs to be lost. It needs to be disappointed. It's the wrong, wrong hope. It's in the wrong thing. We've placed the wrong expectation. It needs to be something that is redeemed or restored or something that is replaced by a hope in Jesus that brings a rising of our faith and a repentance in our heart. Lord, for the places that we've had misplaced hope today, we ask that you would remove those and you would replace it in a hope in you. Lord, for a place where we have endured hope that has been disappointed. Because it's just, it's, it's taken a long time to come to pass. Lord, would you meet us in that space and bring your presence, bring your peace, and bring a confidence that you'll be faithful to your word and your promise. Lord, for the places in our lives where you have offered new life, where you have offered salvation, where you have offered forgiveness, and we've retreated into the jungles because we just, we, we can't reconcile that being true for us. Lord, would you draw us to the reality that you stand at the door of our heart today and that you knock, you make yourself present and available and you invite us to come to you and Lord, may there be something that rises in us like Peter, something that rises in us like John, that just the thought, just the thought of that hope, the thought of you being a living and risen Savior would draw us to run to you as best we can, fumbling our way forward to a cross to receive forgiveness and to an empty tomb to celebrate newness of life. 
Jesus, we declare that you have risen and our hopes rise with you. We run to you today. We put our faith and our hope in you. Help us to walk that out and to enjoy that this week as we would celebrate with great joy. In Jesus' name, amen.